weeks ago, John preached on the entire chapter of Luke 2. And I know that because I had to read the entire chapter of Luke 2 before he preached on it. And when he preached on this passage, he was preaching about how God meets his people in the mundane of every life. And he had four points, and I'm sure all of you can recite them from memory, is that God comes to people like Simeon while he was worshiping in the temple. That God comes to people like the shepherds while they're working their everyday jobs. He later looked at how God comes to people in their turmoil. And his final point was that God comes to people in their sin. Because as the angel said, Jesus would be born and he would be the Savior. Because sinners need a Savior. This morning, I'm going to, we're going to be reading and we're going to be looking at the last part of chapter 2. And I want us to look at a different angle. If you weren't here Christmas Eve, or you didn't listen to the Christmas Eve service, this is really a continuation sermon from Christmas Eve. Because at Christmas Eve, what we looked at is, why did the angel, or why did God, through the angel, choose the shepherds? And I gave us three options. It was either that God chose the shepherds because it was to fulfill a prophecy that Jeremiah proclaimed that there would be shepherds tending the sheep near Jerusalem when the Savior would come. Or, I said, that the angel appeared to the shepherds because the shepherds were the lowliest of low. The only person in Israel's society that was lower than the shepherd was someone that had leprosy. And that the angel preached the good news, preached the gospel of Jesus' coming to these shepherds to reveal that the gospel is for the lowliest of low. Or the third option was that the angel came to the shepherds because these shepherds in Bethlehem were those who watched after the sheep that were used in the temple worship. For a slant, a, a sheep was slain and the blood was spilled as a guilt offering as people went to worship God. And so these shepherds who tended these sheep would come and behold the Lamb of God that was slain for the world, the last sheep to be slain for His people. This morning, I want us to look at the second half of this chapter. For the first half, we looked at the shepherds. But in this chapter, I want us to look at the four characters that we, we see. We see Joseph and Mary, and then we are introduced to Simeon and Anna, two prophets that were in the temple when Joseph and Mary took Jesus into the temple. And I also want us to see how the narrator, Luke, wants us, the readers, to see where the message of Jesus is going. He has just introduced this Savior of the world how is he progressing this story that will ultimately lead to Jesus on the cross and Jesus resurrected? Because in this passage, what I think Luke is wanting us, the church, 
to see is what it looks like to wait for God by faith. Because what this passage reveals to us is that these four characters, this is a spoiler alert, these four characters show us what it looks like to be faithful to God's promises. I said last Lord's Day, from 2 Samuel 7 to Matthew 1, God's people waited a thousand years for God to fulfill His promises to David. So here we are, the church, 2,000 years removed from the ascension of Jesus Christ. How are we at waiting for God's promises by faith? Are we simply going through the motions, not truly expecting the reality of Jesus' return at any moment? But I think this passage wants us to see what faithful character looks like amongst these four characters. And I want us to see, so the first part, my first main point is the piety of the parents. Then I want us to see the pronouncement of the prophets. And then we will see the pattern of the promises. But before we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, please reveal Yourself to us. Lord, may Your Spirit move in power this morning as the Spirit led Simeon into the temple to meet Jesus. May Your Spirit draw us in to Your temple that we might see Jesus, that we might hear the good news of the Gospel, that Jesus gave to save sinners like us. Lord, you meet us where we are. And that's good news. Lord, we ask you for your hand of protection on John. Lord, give him strength. Lord, we ask you to heal Barbara Green whose oxygen levels are still low. Lord, please bless Paul. Please bless Terry as they care for their spouse. We pray for the Jenkins, for Julian Ronald, who just feel terrible. Lord, we ask for you to remove this disease. We ask for this vaccine to come quickly. Lord, we pray for this church. And although that we're going through trials, we pray that we will be a church that stands for your glory in this community. That when people see us, they will see a faithful follower of Jesus that we are waiting patiently for the glory of the Son to be revealed and that we will constantly be showing those around us what it looks like 
to be in love with Jesus. Lord, we, we pray for everyone in Nashville that was that were harmed or misplaced or for the justice system as they look for those who did this terrible act. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered. Lord, we just ask that justice and mercy be sought. Lord, we pray for Mike Ford, the minister at RUF University of Tennessee. Lord, give him strength to preach the gospel, to be unwavering for the truths of Jesus. Lord, we pray for our president and our president-elect. We pray that they will be God-fearing, that you will put people that they will listen to, that will remind them of the love of God that we have in Jesus. We pray that they will lead well, that they will have wisdom that only you can impart by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we lift up Jeff and Katie Saunders as they are missionaries in Japan. Lord, you have given them a heart for those people. Bless the work of their hands. May this church be an encouragement to them as they are laboring in the field, spreading the seed of the gospel. Lord, make it grow. May you change the hearts of everyone that they come in contact with. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. The piety of the parents. So most parents prepare quite a while when they hear that they're about to have a child. Once they find out they're pregnant, the preparations begin. Whether it's just, what's the name going to be? Or maybe theoretically they choose the room that the baby's going to sleep in. Whether it's going to be nutrition, disposable diapers, or washable. One discussion lots of parents are having today is, do we post pictures of our children on social media? And the list goes on. But one of the most important things that a child can prepare for, or for that parents can prepare for, is it for a child, is their spiritual nurture and care. Are they praying for this child? Are they asking the Lord to bless this child? For if a parent is asking the Lord to bless the child, the, the parent is spending time in the presence of God saying, Your will be done. At Christ Presbyterian Church, once a child is born, our hope and prayer is that parents will then bring their child forward to present them to God so they can receive the covenant sign of baptism, which is a sign given to the church to remind the church of God's faithfulness to his people and the immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ. In so doing, we ask parents three questions. Do you acknowledge your child's need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ? 
and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises on their behalf? And do you look in faith to Jesus Christ for their salvation as you do their own? And the third question, do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of the holy religion, that you will strive by all the means of God's appointed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do this because we think that this is what's best for God's people, and we think that this is what's best for our children. To raise them, to nurture them within the church. And this is exactly what we see Mary and Joseph doing in these first few verses. In verse 21 we read, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the, their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and, the, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. There are four separate ceremonies that Luke talks about in these four verses. The first is from Genesis 17, where Abraham brought, was told to bring his male children, and have them circumcised on the eighth day. The second actually speaks of the purification that Mary needs to go through. 30 days after a birth, 30 days after the birth of a child, she had to go through a purification process to enter into the temple. The third is the presentation of the firstborn, which was given to Moses back in Exodus 12. To remind God's people of his graciousness, that he passed over their firstborn, which he didn't do for the Egyptians. And the fourth is that the parents, Mary and Joseph, were dedicating Jesus to the service of the Lord. Now this fourth one is kind of odd because Jesus technically doesn't have to be present for them to dedicate him to the service of the Lord. But it reminds us, if we are good readers of our Bible, of what Hannah did in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. When she dedicated Samuel to the service of the Lord, she took him to the temple to present him where he would spend a life of the ministry of the Word. As we finish chapter 2, we see that Jesus is doing the same thing. And that this reveals to us, the reader, that Joseph and Mary were living faithfully according to God's law. Luke talks about the law ten times in the entire gospel. Within our passage this morning, he uses it five times. All five of them refer, three of them were in these four verses, and then later on we see it in 27 and then in 39. All five of them refer to how Mary and Joseph were following the law and what they did with Jesus. Mary and Joseph... Were, the, were just normal people. But they weren't just throwing together at the last minute what they were going to do with Jesus. They had been prepared by their parents to live according to the law. Jesus was going to be circumcised on the eighth day. He was going to receive the sign of the covenant. 
Now, normally in my sermon, I, I usually say something like, don't be like Jesus. And you have to understand what I'm saying is because the gospel is not a story of we need to be more like Jesus. The gospel is a story that Jesus did what we could never do, believe in Jesus. So normally I say, don't, don't try to be like Jesus, because Jesus has done something that none of us can do. But this morning, this passage is actually showing us what we should do. We should be faithful with our children in bringing them to the Lord. We should be faithful to God's covenant law that everything we do with our children is to raise them in the nurture of knowing who God is and what He has done for His people. We need to be setting our children on the trajectory that they see God's grace every single day of their lives. This is true piety, pointing people to Jesus. We don't baptize our children so that they earn their salvation. We baptize our children to remind them and to remind ourselves that God is faithful to His covenant promises. Parents, is this how we are preparing our children? To love God and to love neighbor above themselves and in all circumstances. This is what it looks like to live according to the law of God. As Paul says in Romans, the law of Christ. Church, how are we helping our parents? How many empty nesters do we have in our church? And how much are we pouring in to these parents? As a parent with young children, I'm ready to listen to whatever you have to offer. Both ups and downs. Sometimes we really need help because sometimes we really have no idea what we're doing. And I know that there are people in this church that don't have good relationships with their children. But the church should be a safe place where we can talk about this. So we can discuss even our hurts and our shame of our children. Because it's in the church where we are redeemed by Jesus Christ and we are promised that God is faithful. Mary and Joseph didn't have it all together. They did what they only knew what to do. It's to present Jesus to God and say, He is yours. Your will be done. And as John preached just a few weeks ago, this is where God meets his people. In the mundane messiness of child rearing. This is what God has given to faithful parents. His covenant promises to be with them. Even when it seems like he's not there anymore. Luke wants us to see the piety of parents and Luke also wants to see the pronouncement of the prophets. After we have seen this true piety of Joseph and Mary, Luke now introduced two new characters into the narrative. And he addresses them both according to their faithful living in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And then it says of Anna. Anna was a prophetess from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Here we have a man and a woman faithfully devout to believing in God and all that he has promised. As I prepared for the sermon, it's almost comical how much commentators talked about Simeon and Anna, about their backgrounds, about who they were, where they came from. With Simeon, what, what did he actually do? Was he actual priest? Was he a Levite in the temple? Or is he just a regular Joe coming to the temple to worship? And about Anna, was she somehow in the genealogy of Jesus? Was she 13 or 14 years old, which is the age of most Israelite women when they got married, which means she was widowed by 21, which means she was a widow for 63 years. And it would be very easy to write chapters and chapters of speculation about these two people, but what Luke continues to remind the readers to see is that these prophets are doing what prophets always do. They don't talk about themselves. They point people to Jesus. Both of these prophets don't really speak about themselves. Simeon does in verse 29, saying that he now can depart from this life because he has seen peace. Because Simeon knew what Jesus was doing. He was doing what the angel said earlier in chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Simeon can leave in peace because he has seen God's redemption in the person of Jesus. Simeon had received what the angels promised. He was seeing the fulfillment of God's promises. But was it about Simeon? No, because at the end of verse 29, this is what we read. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon was doing what every prophet did, revealing God's word for God's people. And he's saying, it is God who is bringing peace. It's nothing that I am doing. It's not because I'm righteous and devout. Three times the Holy Spirit is named in these three verses. This is a work of of God's redemption in Christ. The things that God has promised are coming to pass. God has been faithful, and God is setting the pattern, prediction. You will see the Lord's Christ. Fulfillment. Simon held his salvation. Think about that. When was the last time you held a newborn baby? Simeon was holding a baby that was his redeemer. 
This is what God has been preparing his people for. The anointed one, the son of God. And Simeon and Anna have been waiting patiently, faithfully for God to act upon his promises. And Simeon continues, For my eyes have seen your salvation, for you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. Simeon does what all good prophets do, points people to God's promises and to the fulfillment and to what they should expect next. And Simeon blows the doors off what Israel is really expecting. Because what is Israel expecting? They're a redeemer. But Simeon tells of so much more. Simeon fulfill, is telling them that Jesus is coming to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus isn't just coming for Israel. Jesus is coming for everyone who comes to the light. For he is the light of the world. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, Paul isn't using some hierarchical scheme like the Jew is more important and then the Gentile is least important. Paul is simply, is simply teaching redemptive history. God revealed himself to Israel first, the Old Testament, and then God revealed himself to the Gentiles, to the entire world, second. Simeon is pronouncing what will be going on throughout the New Testament. God revealed himself to Abraham. And what was the promise of Abraham? Through you the nations will be blessed. God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. Why? So that the nations will see the mighty hand of God. God revealed the, to the angels to the shepherds. And now Luke is preparing the readers for what we will find in the rest of his gospel. God saves tax collectors? God saves Samaritans? Later in Acts, we see that God saves a tanner. And then Anna proclaims to everyone in the temple, the redemption of Jerusalem is here. Why does she say Jerusalem? Well, it's the capital city of Israel, of Judah. It is in Jerusalem, we see in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit come down at Pentecost to devout men and women worshiping in the temple. It is from Jerusalem that God proclaims to his disciples, we will begin in Jerusalem and then go throughout Judea and then Samaria and then to where? To the ends of the earth is where the gospel of Jesus will go. The prophets are pointing God's people to where the good news of Jesus is going. It will save the nations. This pronouncement of the prophets is pointing the people reading it to Jesus. And it's preparing us for the great paradigm. For the nations will see. For Israel's Savior will come. But what does he tell Mary? Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon tells Mary some news that no mother wants to hear. 
your son will be opposed. And he's coming as Savior. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to believe him. And the great paradigm is Jesus will go to the cross to save those who put him there. For those who opposed him. That is the atoning work of Christ is for the sinner. This is the pronouncement of the, of the prophets. God's great act of redemption has come. And he's come for the nations. So we've seen the piety of the parents. We've seen the pronouncement of the prophets. And lastly, and very briefly, we're going to see the, the pattern of the promises. So verse 39 and verse 40 tend to go, actually, most commentators and most Bibles section that off with actually the next passage that comes. But I think 39 and 40 recap what we've seen in 21 through 38. Here we see again, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor, and the favor of God was upon him. He was filled with wisdom. Wisdom is being able to connect God's word to everyday life. This is what Jesus has come to do. He is the personification of wisdom. How to live what? According to the law of God. Because everything that his parents has, have done in this chapter, preparing him in the rituals, in the sacrifices of the law, Jesus never had to do again. You know why? Because he was sinless. Because Jesus followed the law Perfectly. Because do you know what the law, the law of Moses, the law of the Lord prepared for us? It prepared us for Jesus. It prepared us for the one that would end all the sacrifices, all the atonement, all the purifications that we had to do. Women no longer have to go through a purification process because they have been purified in the blood of Jesus. We no longer have to offer up a lamb as a sacrifice because he was the final lamb that was slain. Our sins have been atoned for. But that is only because Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. He did something that we could never do. These faithful Israelites waited and waited for God's promises to come true. And in their waiting, they continued to follow the law, which prepared them for Christ. Luke is setting up this narrative from beginning to end to show us that Jesus is the one to whom the law points. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to do in following the law. Jesus is the one that all of the prophets pointed to. In the road to Emmaus, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He began with the law and the prophets and revealed everything concerning himself. The law has prepared us for Jesus. And we see four characters who do this faithfully. As parents, as normal, devout people going to God daily in worship, fasting, and in prayer, 
And I don't know about you, but that's really good news for me. Because after I've just got done yelling at all my family, I need to be reminded, Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. And he got my F, and I get his A, as Chris Treat said. Jesus fulfilled the law because he knew I couldn't, and he gave me everything that he did, and he took all of my sin and nailed it upon the cross, and I bear it no more. This is the hope I need when I've realized, I've really messed up today. I've really messed up this minute. I've really messed up this hour. Is that redemption has come in Christ. And because of Jesus, God's favor is now upon his people. Walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us the lives of faithful people. We thank you for providing a word for us to follow so that we not, do not just follow our own inclinations and our own sin. But as you have called us, Lord, make us holy as you are holy. Lord, bless your word. Bless us, your people, and Jesus Christ. May we be a light to the nations. In the name of Christ, amen.